0: Before we go to summer in the Psalms, you know that the uh, last two weeks we've been looking at First Samuel chapter 24 and chapter 26. Well, right between there is this really interesting chapter 25. And I, I felt like we can't wrap up First Samuel for the summer without touching on chapter 25. So that's what we're going to look at today. Many years ago, my mom's life was saved by an interruption. It was the 1970s. My mom was coming back to her job from lunch. She was returning to her office, and as she was heading to her office, the receptionist called her over to ask a few questions. So my mom went to the receptionist. She had a few questions. It was a delay of just a few minutes, but it was just long enough to kind of irritate my mom. But it was also just long enough to save her life. Because while they were talking, a man came into the office area, walked behind them, and quietly walked into the office room where my mom worked with two other women. He shot and killed both those women and then sat down and waited for the police to come. It turns out he was the estranged husband of one of those women and the other was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And my mom would have been in that office too had she not been interrupted on her way to the office. that's called a providential interruption. Today, we're gonna to read about a providential interruption, a disaster interrupted by grace. And so here's what's happening in chapter 25, and we're gonna read a lot of chapter 25, but David hears that a very wealthy man named Nabal is having a feast to celebrate the shearing season. So they they are now kind of su- uh, celebrating their success. They've had this wonderful thing. Well, here's the thing. David and his men had protect, protected Nabal's shepherds, kept them safe. They were like watching over them and keeping them and treated them well, and they never... They never took anything from them. And so he sends 10 of his men there and says, I know you guys had a great season. You're doing great. You're celebrating as a feast. Could you send a little bit of food our way? Let's pick up in verse 2. A certain man in man who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep sharing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Very respectful message and request. Verse 9: When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants: Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men who coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Father, we pray your blessing upon this word in Jesus' name. David is clearly very angry. He had done only good to Nabal. His men had only treated them well. And helped them kind of achieve the success they had had. And here Nabal repays him with insults, with disrespect, with accusations. And so David says, boys, strap on your swords. We're going, it only takes 400 men. I mean, I'm sure Nabal's household and the servants and all that was fairly large, but these warriors, this is, this is, they're out, they're way outnumbering Nabal's house in terms of firepower. And they're going there to set things right and they're going there to teach Nabal a lesson he will never forget. But Nabal has a wife named Abigail. And Nabal is a mean-spirited brute of a man. His his name in Hebrew literally means fool. That's what the word means. Now, I don't know if his mom and dad looked at him when he was born and, and said, you know, Let's name him Fool. Or it's also possible over time it was a nickname that stuck. I remember in high school, there was this guy, and he was actually a really nice kid, Robert. But he got the name Bonehead. And everybody, literally everybody called him Bonehead. If I remember correctly, the principal called him up as Robert Bonehead, whatever his last name was. It's just what people called him. Nabal is what everybody call he, his name is fool. Now Abigail is the opposite. She, she is intelligent. She is wise She is beautiful and his only answer for how she ended up with him is an arranged marriage There's no way she chose this guy Abigail hears from the servants how Nabal treated David's men and they warn her disaster is coming disaster is hanging over the entire household and they appeal to her to do something verse 17 this is the servant speaking to abigail now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household he is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him that's the servants describing him to his own wife Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisin, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Now you, gotta, you, got, you get to sense this is not a healthy marriage at this point in time. Abigail doesn't tell Nabal what she's doing because she knows from experience, Nabal does not listen to reason. This is a man, the servant says, no one can talk to him. No one can speak to him. He hears nobody but himself. That's the first step to being a fool is to only listen to our own voice, to not let people speak into us into our lives. Don't listen to anyone else, just listen to yourself. You're right. You're right. And then you can gather around people that echo chamber that that is foolish. Proverbs 26:12 says there's more hope for a fool than a person who is wise in their own eyes. Fools don't listen to other people because they think they're always right. I've had a touch of that in my life. Have you? Have you been in situations where you just think your perspective is right? It's good to listen to other people. I I just want to appeal to all of us, myself included, Make sure that we listen to other people when they share something, maybe especially when it's not something we wanna hear. Let's listen to other people. Husbands, Husbands, we are foolish if we're not listening to our wives. We are foolish. God has given them wisdom and perspective we need to hear. And I certainly have learned over the years to value Janice's wisdom and perspective. And there have been times when Janice has said things I didn't want to hear. One, one particular memory came to my mind. We were back in Lamb's Chapel. And uh, one guy, sweet guy in the church, he got involved with this multi-layered marketing thing. And so he met with us one night telling us how we could recruit people. It was one of those things where you recruit people, and then they recruit people, and then it's like legs begin to spread out. So everybody that they recruit becomes part of that leg, and then you can recruit someone else over here, and then they recruit people. And all of a sudden, you're seeing legs, and all of that, whatever they buy or whatever they sell, begins to flow upward in, in terms of money and generates income. And so you've got all this money coming up, and, and how he's sharing all this with us. And I'm like, that sounds too good to be true. This sounds so great. We can't miss this opportunity. And I was all excited about it. And I felt like this is just God opening a door for us. But I knew in my heart, I didn't want to hear it. But somewhere in my heart, I felt like this is also greed. There's greed in my heart right now. But I didn't want to hear that because God wants to bless us and we could use the money and and what a great opportunity. And we can't miss this. And, And I've got a built in group of people. I pastor a church. And so I can begin to talk to people and recruit people and how he actually shared that, you know. Oh, my goodness. But you know what? I was so frustrated because Janice didn't buy into it. She wasn't excited about it. She had reservations about it. And I'm like, we got to move fast. We got to jump on this thing. And, and, and her, fr- her reservations frustrated me. But you know what? As we talked about it, <clears throat> and sometimes, you know, God uses something to kind of like shoehorn a little wisdom into my head. She shared something that I've never forgotten. And in fact, it's become a part of my personal convictions because it's wisdom. She said, as a pastor, if you're trying to recruit people to your business, no one will ever know if you're approaching them as a pastor because you care about them or as a salesperson because you're trying to sell sell something to them or recruit something. And I realized then, I will never be a salesman at the same time that I'm pastoring. Because I don't want anybody to ever wonder, why am I befriending you? Why am I reaching out to you? I don't want that to ever be something people wonder. Thankfully, I did eventually listen to Janice's wisdom. So husbands, listen to your wives. Wives, listen to your husbands. Let's listen to each other. It's good to hear other people. We don't always agree. But it's really good to hear people. Nabal was not that. Nabal would not listen to anyone. He was stuck in his own head and he happened to be wealthy. So he could afford to be stuck in his own head. Abigail knows it's all up to her. And she acts quickly. She starts loading up all this food and heading out to interrupt the coming disaster. Let's pick it up in verse 20. As she came riding her donkey into the mountain, into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. This is what he's saying to himself and his men. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. Listen to this, may God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. You see, what's happening with David is the more he thinks about this thing, the more he stews in this thing, and the unrighteousness of it, he's getting angrier and angrier. So before we see him strap on your swords, boys, and I don't know what exactly he had in mind, but now he's swearing before God. May God punish me if I leave one male alive in his household. We're talking way out of proportion. Nabal has hurt his pride. There's no doubt about it. He's been unfair to him. He's been ungrateful to him. But he is talking about murdering every male in the household. That means old servants, children, every male, people that had nothing to do with this at all. And he's talking about running them through with the sword and leaving bloodshed behind. Anger, anger makes stupid seem right. Anger is stupid so often. There There is a righteous anger. There is a righteous anger. And there is a way that we can walk anger out in a godly way. God gave us the emotion of anger. But... Most of the time, anger is not righteous as we we experience it. Most of our anger is very self-centered, and I want something, and I'm not getting it, so I'm angry. My feelings are hurt. My pride is hurt. Whatever. And in anger, we say and do stupid things, and it seems right in the moment. And so we want to be careful that anger isn't a part of our interactions with people commonly. If if your home has anger in it, you, you, you want to make a change about that. Because anger is not going to build what you want to build. It's not. See, anger says, here's how you make this change. Here's how you get this person to do what you want. Here's how you get what you want. And and in in its wake, it leaves the exact opposite. It destroys, it burns down, it tears down. Parents, if you are trying to raise your kids and get them to behave and get them to do what you want by anger, and believe me, I know what it is to be a little angry at my kids over times. But that's not how to parent, to control with anger, to yell, to scream—it's—it's it's not. And when we step into that direction, we need to ask for forgiveness because we've sinned. When we explode in anger, now if it's controlled and it's like we're we're controlled and and that anger has raised up, we gotta do something about this constructively. That's all good. But I'm talking about the the fiery burning words, harsh yelling or saying cutting words or the other things out of anger that tear down and seem so right in the moment. But later on. Lead to such regret. David has this anger rising up inside of him and he he is determined. I mean, he is swearing to God. Like this is a righteous, he thinks it's a righteous oath. God, you can punish me if I don't kill every man in that home. He wants to vent his anger. Proverbs 29, 11 says, fools give full vent to their rage. But the wise bring calm in the end. See, David is now moved into being foolish. Anger has moved him into foolish territory. He who has been so wise in chapter 24 and and 26 has become a bit of a Saul, way overreacting, ready to lash out and hurt people. In the heat of anger, it's easy for us to lose perspective and proportion and say things we regret later on, say things that tear people down, and it feels Right in the moment, That's, this is the craziness of anger. What feels right when something sparks in us and we just want to lash out, it feels so right in the moment and it's not till later we cool down. It's like, I wish I had not said that. And I've noticed something when it says a fool gives full vent to their rage. I have noticed something and I, I wonder if it's a universal thing. There's been times where I have felt anger rising in my heart, and I've decided, all right, anger is like maybe at a level 20, and I decided, okay, I'm going to get this thing out. I'm going to share this. I'm going to speak to whoever it is and deal with it and say it and get this out of me. And as I begin to vent my anger, the 20 turns into 40. The anger gets hotter rather than cooler. As I vent, as I say words, the more I say it, especially if they are, if that person is resisting my words or arguing back, the anger gets hotter, it gets higher, it gets more, there's more to vent, my words get stronger. At first, I might start with this level of words. Now I'm going escalating up to this level of words. Do you know what I'm talking about? As you vent your rage, it becomes hotter, not cooler. And you feel justified to say angrier things, to get your point across and say stronger things and harsher things. And as David smolders, his anger gets hotter and hotter until he's ready to leave dead bodies everywhere. And that's when Abigail shows up. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, forgive your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Abel is such, Abigail rather, is such an amazing example of grace and wisdom, and action. She takes action. She doesn't cover up for her husband. She's honest with David. Now, I I think we could probably, this could probably be a whole teaching in itself. Because in the average marital relationship, you do cover up for one another, amen? You don't uncover Oh yeah, my husband, is a complete jerk. You, you don't do that. But Nabel has crossed a line that has in, that of a line of foolishness that has endangered everybody in the house. And Abigail is not gonna cover for him because to cover for him would mean to soften the issue. She's taking action. And she says, pay no attention to that wicked, or the word means worthless. Man, Nabal, his name means fool. And by golly, foolishness follows him. She's brutally honest because it's no time for half measures. She's out to save lives, including Nabal's life. Her priority isn't to make her husband look good here, it's to save lives. And then I want you to look at the three things that she says to David to cool things down and interrupt his course of action. First of all, she asks David, she asks for David's forgiveness. Verse 28, please forgive your servant's presumption. Please forgive. She's asking for forgiveness about approaching him on something like this. She's asking for forgiveness that I didn't see your men when they came. She is simply approaching him with a very deep humility. And a friend of mine once said, humility draws out humility. David's anger is white hot. But Abigail's humility softens that anger. Asking for forgiveness that really is something she didn't, wasn't her fault. It throws water on a fire. It throws throws water, cooling water on David's white hot anger. A soft answer turns away wrath. See, in those moments, we can diffuse or we can detonate an explosive situation. Humility diffuses. I've seen conflicts get diffused when one person or the other humbles themselves, asks for forgiveness for their part in the conflict. And often, Often when one person humbles himself and asks for forgiveness, it makes the other person feel safer to humble themselves as well and to ask for forgiveness for their part. Humility draws out humility, very often. Anger burns bridges, humility builds bridges. And relational breaks can start to heal when we humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness. I just wanna say this. Asking for forgiveness should be a common part of particularly of family life because there's a lot of bumps and bruises in family life. There's a lot of bumps and bruises in marriages. There's a lot of bumps and bruises in parenting. And if you're one of those parents who's never gotten frustrated with your kid and never said a word out of anger, you don't even need to be here this morning. <laughs> you can go home. <laughs> but I know I have. I've said, I've said things that were out of anger, things that were unkind to my kids, where I, my buttons got pushed, whatever. But I think I can say every single time I go back and ask for forgiveness. And so those things never damaged our relationship. In fact, I think they strengthened it because, and I would often tell them, your dad needs a savior too. Our home, we ask for forgiveness, and our kids do that too. Let that be part of your atmosphere. Abigail asks forgiveness. I don't think she had to. But she starts with that. Secondly, she blesses David, verses 28 through 29. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from a pocket of a sling. So Nabal answered, you know, who is David? Who is this puny guy breaking away from the king? But Abigail says just the opposite. I know you are the chosen king. You're going to win every battle because God is fighting for you. And then she uses poetic language about how God's hand will be on David's life. The life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God, but your enemies will be hurled away as with a sling. She comes and she encourages and she blesses David and his anger goes down even more. So we, we never want to flatter people. We never want to be insincere, but we do want to learn how to approach people in a way that, that blesses and encourages them as much as we can, as Abigail did. We will change more hearts in a Godward direction through encouragement than through criticism. And then third, she appeals to David's conscience. Verse 30, she doesn't start with this, but she comes to this point. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord, listen to this, will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. She's like, when you get to that place God's bringing you, you don't want to have this on your conscience. David was temporarily insane from anger, but he would have, this would have haunted him the rest of his life. He would, it would have changed his life. He would have innocent blood on his hands that would have haunted him. And she's saying, you don't want this on your conscience. Let it go. Let it go. You don't need this to be successful, David. God is going to give you that. And when he does, remember your servant. Verse 32 David said to Abigail, Praise be to the God, to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you. If you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. David knew This was a divine interruption. This was disaster interrupted by grace. God sent Abigail to interrupt his plans and also to save David from himself. Sometimes we need to be saved from ourselves. In fact, the biggest enemy Jesus came to save us from is ourselves. That's the biggest enemy. Sin bends our lives, or bent our lives, in a self-destructive, God-hostile direction. It just, it took our compass, and true north started pointing to true death. And everything that brings guilt and regret, and a destroyed life, and a broken relationship with God, that's where sin is. that's the right direction to go our greatest enemy jesus came to save us from is ourselves and he did that by coming and giving his life and letting his precious blood be shed in our place to cleanse us from our guilt cleanse us from our sin to wash our conscience clean to free us from the chains of regret and to reconcile us to God as our Father. And the Lord does all that, and he does that surgery on our hearts, so we begin to want to serve him and love him. And when we fall short, we come to our Savior and we ask for forgiveness, and he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all guilt and sin and forgive us of our sins. Jesus is so wonderful and so beautiful. And he saves us from ourselves. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, I just want to pause. And I just, want to, I just want to give you that opportunity to ask him to be your Savior and not let another day go by. Not let another day go by. This isn't about religion. This is about coming to Jesus in relationship. Let's just pray together briefly. And if you have never asked Jesus to come into your life as your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray silently with me. Lord Jesus, I know I need a Savior. I've made a mess of things. But more than that, I know that I don't have a relationship with God. And I know that my sin has broken relationship with God. And I need God. Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me of my sin? Would you give me a new heart? And would you restore my relationship with God the Father? Thank you for dying for me. I receive the gift of eternal life in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close this morning, I just want to encourage if anyone, if you're struggling with some of the things that I've talked about, maybe, maybe with anger, maybe with unforgiveness, maybe bitterness. I think where David lands is where I want to encourage you to. Get your eyes off all that and put them on God. David saw this was God that did this. She pointed his eyes. Look at what God's doing in your life. And then you don't have to swirl your life around a little worthless man like Nabal. And I'm not saying that anybody in our life is that, but the small emotions of bitterness. I'm bitter about what that person did years ago. Or the anger. As we get our eyes upon the Lord and trust him with our lives and call upon him, he can do the surgery in our heart and help us let go of those things. He can interrupt the trajectory of our anger with his grace. So I just wanna finish the story really quickly. Abigail goes back, tells Nabal what happened and how close he came to death and Nabal is struck dumb. For 10 days, he's just like a stone and then it says God struck him. So God did avenge David. God did avenge David and Nabal died. Uh, just 10 days later. And David, who was obviously impressed with Abigail, sent his men to get her, and she became his third wife, and, uh, which I don't encourage today. That's why somebody might say, well, what's the application on that? <laughs> um, um, but then he loses the wife, in a sense, because Saul gives Michael away to another man while he's running in caves from Saul. We'll cover that in 2 Samuel one day. Anyway, God is faithful to David. God is faithful to Abigail. And God is faithful to you. Amen? He is faithful to us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that your faithfulness is it reaches to the skies. It is unending, Lord. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that as we sang earlier, Lord, we can run to the Father. And we don't have to wonder whether you're going to chase us out or Lord, but only through Christ. Lord, let not anybody within the sound of my voice think that there's just this generic sense of God wanting everybody to come to him, no matter how. It's got to be through Christ. That's the thing the Bible says. Your arms are wide open, your love wide open, your desire and commitment to forgive and show mercy wide open, but only through Christ because it took the death of Christ to purchase our souls and purchase forgiveness for us in a way that satisfied your justice. So Father, I pray let not anyone think there's this just generically nice God who's just ready to receive everybody however they want to come, because that's not the truth. But in Christ, with Jesus as our Savior, The door is wide open, and you are a good Father, and we love you. I pray your blessing upon each and every one here, each and every one watching. Let our hearts be encouraged by this, Father, and do that surgical work, especially anyone who's struggling with maybe some of the things we talked about today. Let them experience growth and change from within the heart. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.